Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Scott Wallum, who is the owner of Walmart Properties. But I've known Scott for most of my life, and I actually consider him to be more of a family member than a friend. Both our dads became friends late in the 1950s in Fort Lauderdale, and the rest, as they say, is history. So Scott's led a very interesting career journey, starting in the West Coast of Florida to Yale University, into corporate life, and then ultimately being a small business owner. So he's led a really interesting life, and I'm excited to have him on the podcast. So welcome, Scott. Thank you. Well, thanks for your time today. Um, I know a lot about your life, um, but I think I'll learn some things today. So uh, appreciate your time on today's podcast. So let's maybe start with uh, where you grew up. Yeah, so uh, I, I grew up really in Brooksville, Florida, kind of central Florida, a little north of Tampa there. Um, went, to, went to high school there, and that's where I met my wife, Nancy. And, um, you know, went, went, to, uh, went to college at Yale, Connecticut. Well, let's, well, let's, let's, uh, let's stop uh, and, and talk a little about your high school. So yeah, sure. you, what were your, some of your, your best subjects? Were you good in math, science, English, history? Um, yeah, I would say that probably the math and science was always, um, maybe my strong suit. Uh, I did, I did fine, um, uh, throughout high school. I didn't go to a really challenging school, uh, like a lot of folks that maybe went to, it was a, you know, pretty decent high school, but, um, uh, I would say I always sort of, uh, gravitated towards math and science. Yeah. Now, now I know your parents very well, so, um, I, I would, probably a safe assumption to say that they were pretty interested in your academics and how well you did. Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> certainly my dad, as you know, he, he was a college professor and he really valued education beyond it just being his job. Um, and uh, it's, it's funny as you mentioned that, cause when we were, we were younger, there would be, there were times when at the dinner table, we would have been given a vocabulary list for the, for the day or the week Forgot about that. Yeah. We'd have to go over, uh, definitions of words and, 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 you know, spelling of words and sort of those sorts of things. And then the summer we'd have to read books and do book reports in the summer. It was, <laughs> so they're definitely very interested it, particularly my dad. Yeah. Now, did he grade you on those book reports? I don't know if I remember that. That's pretty funny. Um, I don't think it was really a grade so much. It, I think audit. really the point was he wanted us to read the book. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, and I was never a big reader and, and that, that might have backfired on him to be honest <laughs> with you, because even to this day, I don't, I don't really, I don't read a novel. I, I'm not that kind of a reader. I read uh, for information. So I like to read um, mm-hmm. magazines and, you know, maybe industry magazines and things like that. Just where it makes sense. So did, um, and you were also a pretty good athlete. So um, just talk a little bit about, you know, how you blended your academics with your athletics in high school. Uh, well, you know, athletic wise, I took a big turn when I was a senior. And before that, I would always played baseball and um, my mother would never let me play football. I was a big kid, always a pretty athletic kid, but she was an x-ray technician. And she would see all these kids come in with messed up knees and broken arms and torn up shoulders from playing football. So she prohibited me from playing football growing up. And then um, as before my senior year in high school, she said, you know, if you want to play football, you can go ahead. And I said, okay. So I, um, I, you know, met up with a coach and he was excited for me to come play. And, and I did. And that sort of, I mean, that really changed the course of my life, I think, um, because it turned out I was a better football player than a, than a baseball player. 
and so how did you to- did you struggle with because I mean you know some of these kids have been playing football since Pop Warner you know seven years old eight years old did you struggle to catch up to some of the things you know in your senior year? Um, you know football can be pretty simple when you're not say a quarterback or a middle linebacker maybe mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and it's really a lot about, uh, I was on, I should say I was a lineman, offense and defensive lineman. And so that's really the, the best place for a person who's just starting because it's a lot of reaction type, um, and, and offense, of course you have, you have to know more plays, but you, you learn those pretty quickly. Um, but and, and on defense, which is what I really like more, you, uh, it's, it's a lot of reaction to what the person in front of you is doing. And so I, I didn't, I didn't find it hard to pick up on the game of football. Um, but I think it was, like I say, it was because of my position probably. Well, and I think too, you're probably a, a good student of the game too. And you kind of understood, you know, picking up on techniques quickly and, um, taking advantage of that was probably key. Could be. And I was, you know, I was, um, it's not a really big school we went to. So we had like, I don't know, 30 or 35 people on the football team. Oh, wow. Um, And so I was, I was, you know, one of the bigger, uh, more athletic people on the team already, Um, you know, and so it, it helps a lot to be able to push people around, even if you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So um, senior year, pretty successful in that fall. So what happens after that or, or during that season where um, you said it kind of changed the, the, the course of your, your career? Well, during that, that year, um, I, you know, I, I guess you would say I was a standout football player. I made um, a lot of the all-conference and, you know, all Gulf Coast or whatever teams, those sorts of things. Um and got some interest from a, a number of colleges. Um, I really think largely that the interest came because my coach did a great job of marketing me. Um, you know, these were back in the days of VHS tapes for, uh, for recruiting. And so, you know, he had, uh, he had somebody film games and, and edit out down to, you know, some plays of mine. And then he sent it out to schools and he got a lot of interest from colleges to, to um, for me to come play. And so schools that I'd never would have considered um, applying to um, I, before I played football, I was thinking about going to maybe a junior college in Florida and playing uh, baseball and, you know, for a couple of years and maybe going to Florida, Florida state, something like that. And that's a, that's a great path, but Mm -hmm. it it just changed when all of a sudden he had um, schools, uh, you know, like Ivy league schools and the Citadel and, and schools like that were interested in me. Yeah, that I said, wow, would I really have a chance to go to a place like that? <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, what did you? What were you thinking uh, academically, like in terms of you know studying major, um, you know, interest, career interest? What was what was kind of going through your head in high school? Uh, I thought I was going to be an architect in high school um, because I had in summer jobs um, a little bit where I had. I'd always done drafting in, in, in school and enjoyed that a lot. And I had uh, some summer jobs where I worked for uh, an architect, you know, just, you know, basic stuff like revising house plans and things like that. Um, I wasn't designing any skyscrapers, you know? Yeah. So um, that's, that's kind of how I started out. And, you know, when I got to college and started, uh, started with the class in an, 
the classes in in the in the architecture curriculum uh, it, to me, it felt like it was a lot more art history and art and all that. And I realized what I really like about this is the engineering part of it. it you know, the, the, the designing, the measuring, how's this going to fit and, and you know, how to, uh, how, how to, how to build something. And so I then switched over into engineering. Okay. So coming out of high school, um, Yale offers you a scholarship or what the Ivy league determines they, you know, you get accepted, you go there. I know there's, there's a lot of individual assessments about, you know, how they make it work for you, but uh, pretty big, pretty big leap from Brooksville to, uh, to Connecticut. But um, so you start out in architecture um, first semester, first quarter, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you get to a point where you you're thinking about switching. Um, Did you ever think about transferring schools or was that, uh, I mean, obviously you're in a, a pretty exclusive place. So the, the thought of probably leaving there and, and still being able to play football is pretty good. Yeah, no, I, I never considered changing schools. I loved it from the day I stepped foot on there. You know, I was, um, I was always, always felt very honored to be able to go to that school um, or, you know, or any school at that level. And, you know, I, I just felt like, you know, this is, um, this place is, is something that I'm going to do everything I can to stay here. This is not, you know, I never considered leaving. Um, and, and plus there are plenty of options for, for changing your course of study. Um, and so it, it actually resulted in me ch- taking an extra semester instead of four years. It took um, four and a half years. I took an extra semester because by the time I, switched over and then decided there's several different levels of engineering you can do. And um, if you want to get um, like an engineering sciences degree, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, I would call it engineering light, which means I studied engineering, but I don't have an accredited engineering degree where I could go sit for a professional engineer's exam. Right. Okay. You can do that. And then if you want to get your accredited degree, it's an extra five courses, you know, and then, you know, and so I, I wanted to get the accredited degree. And so I ended up having to take an extra semester because, of, you know, my first year I wasn't taking um, all the prerequisites that right. you need for engineering because, of course, the math and science is a little more hardcore than it is for architecture. Gotcha. Yeah. Were there um, some classes that you enjoyed um, that really helped to kind of define what you might want to do coming out of school? Um, you know, in engineering, there were a few classes I liked a lot. Um, a statics class was, um, I I always enjoyed that one. Um, materials class, um, where you learn about, you know, molecular structure of materials and, and, you know, how to, how to create materials for specific purposes. Um, yeah, so probably those, but when I came out of, I don't, in college, I did not have a feeling for, hey, I, I want to go end up at the place where I am now. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I had the idea that I want to be an engineer and I want to get a good job. Yeah. You know, that's kind of, that was my, <laughs> that was the extent of the plan, plan, right? Yeah, that was all, that was my only plan in, in college. And I was really serious about football, you know, um, mm-hmm. that was really big part of my life. I had no illusions. I was going to play NFL football. It was nothing like that. It just was a huge part of my life and, and, um, dedicating myself to, um, to getting as good as I could at that was a, was a really big part of it as well. So. Well, for some of the, I'm oh, sorry, man, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I wasn't totally focused on academics at that point in time. 
it was sort of a 50-50 deal for me at that point in my life. Well, I was going to ask you, because balancing that at a school like Yale has got to be pretty difficult. So for some of the listeners that are, you know, uh, involved in sports and can take it to the, um, to the collegiate level, how did you, how did you balance your time with, um, you know, the grind of, of fall semester and all the work that goes into playing football with being able to go to classes and, you know, engineering is no joke. Um, it's not like you are, you know, taking, you know, a, a bit of a lighter load. So how did, how did that, um, how did you work through that? Well, you know, for me, I actually found that it was better. Academics were better for me during the season than in the off season because you have to be so structured with your time mm-hmm. uh, that you, you, you couldn't procrastinate because I had all, you know, you don't have all day to get, you know, this uh, problem set done or, or write this paper. So you wait till, you know, procrastinate until late at night to start. I, yeah. I didn't really have that luxury. I, you know, you cram in. Uh, every minute. And so, um, you know, the, the old saying, if you need, if you need something done, ask a busy person to do it, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it's kind of like that, you, you know, um, for, for me at least. Um, I, I didn't find that it was, I don't think that it was too terribly hard, really. I mean, it, there's a lot of time I spent doing that, but I think if I wasn't playing football and lifting weights and, you know, doing whatever, whatever else was involved with that, you know, I might've been uh, watching TV or something, you know, and just yeah. and burning time up or walking around town, who knows, getting in trouble. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and I think, you know, I've, cause I've seen some people that when they get to school, they don't really have that time management skill um, mm-hmm. where they haven't been, you know, just, I know my kids that were involved in, you know, school and sports, and it was a every minute of their day was planned out. And to your, you're right, you've got this time box. Like I've got 30 minutes to get a paper done. I got to do it right now. I'm not going to delay it, wait till tonight because I'm coming back from the gym, or you know, I've got some dance recital or whatever, and I can't can't do that. So, um, did you did you have that kind of that structure in high school? And then when you got to college, it was just a continuation of it, or did you have to sort of flip the switch when you got to school? I, I feel like that was, it was like that in high school also. Um, you know, I was year round. We had some sport, baseball, weightlifting team, football. It was, you know, I played basketball one year, you know, so it, there was always something going on. There was, I never came home after school and sat around and watched television, you know? Yeah. Uh, Your dad so wouldn't I, let you anyway. So I know that. Probably wouldn't have. Yeah. <laughs> he wouldn't tell me to go out and mow the grass or something, you know? So. <laughs> So, you know, I don't think that, um, I don't think it was a a huge transition. The the, the biggest transition for me was the level of the academics. Um, It it, it did take me a while to adjust to that because, um, you know, I was in in class with students that had been to, um, well, not everybody, but a lot of them have been to, you know, these really high level prep schools. Mm -hmm. And they were, they were certainly more prepared <laughs> than I was. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, some of that I had to work harder. Some of it, I just didn't get as good a grades as they did, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So you coming up, uh, finish your last year, you took an extra semester. What were you thinking coming out of school as your next step? Um, you know, the, you know how it, it kind of ebbs and flows with, um, with jobs in the job market and, at that point in time, it was a bit of a low. And um, by that, I mean, most of the people I knew 
were, were happy to get the one job offer they got. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I know people that at some, you know, maybe five years later, everybody coming out might've had five or 10 offers. You know, yeah. it just depends. And so even, even with people that I knew, that I knew and my friends and roommates and, and teammates that are, you know, Yale engineers, you would think there'd be people lining up to, to, to hire them. It wasn't the case. So I had one job offer. Uh, I was at Procter and Gamble. My uh, good friend and roommate also got a job offer at Procter and Gamble. And another one, I know he, uh, he waited about four or five months after graduating to get one job offer. And he was an electrical engineer. Wow. Uh, you know, it's, and so it just, sometimes that's just the way it goes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What year was this? We graduated in 1990. Yeah. Yeah. I know that, uh, I had some friends that had graduated the year before you did and they had no offers coming out of tech and they just said, you know what, I'm just going to go to grad school. I mean, I might as well just go ahead and get it now because there's nothing on the table for me that's really, you know, of interest. So yeah, it was, yeah. it was weird because after a, you know, pretty much a decade of growth, um, economically, it definitely stalled there, um, for a few years. And only a few years, probably, because it wasn't super long after that the internet stuff started happening. Exactly, ninety three, ninety four picked up all the way to two thousand, and it was crazy. Yeah, yeah, and I had you know I had some guys, some buddies that um, got in the internet um, startup craze early on, mm-hmm. and uh, you know sold their companies after a couple of years and had tens of millions of dollars. And I was like, what is going on? I'm still, I'm still, I'm still avoiding computers and thinking the internet's going to go away. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. so, uh, so you, you select Procter and Gamble or they select you. Yeah. What was your yeah. first job? So I worked in Cincinnati at a technical center in engineering. Um, and it was basically what, uh, what you would call as a project manager. And so I was on a team of, of people and I was the engineering representative and we were uh, creating, you won't, you may not remember it, you might because you talked to me about it, but in those days, the concept of this project was to squish the toilet paper rolls and so that you, they could take up less room in your cupboard, in your cabinet. <laughs> you can believe it. So my job on this was to, um, was to write specifications for uh, purchase, install, and start up the equipment that would, um, it would compress and wrap these roll, uh, toilet paper rolls of Charmin compressed. Um, that was my first assignment. I did that for two years. Um, we did a great job of it and we delivered it and nobody bought it. <laughs> no, nobody cared that we were compressing these, these packages and I could do them at 120 packages a minute and all that. Nobody cared about that. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting cause that's, that's something that I think, you know, working in the software industry for the last 10 or 15 years um, now we do a lot more of, interactive uh, work with the customer and making sure that, you know, the six months of planning and design and development and locking things down um, that you don't get to a situation where you've rolled something out, spent a couple years, and then the customers either change their mind or the consumers never bought into it to begin with. Um, but you're right. That was, that was a lot. I saw a lot of those projects where they were just, you know, millions of dollars went down 
path and we did everything right, man. We did everything on time and, you know, we never got behind and we completed under budget and all the things that you think are make a successful project. But at the end of the day, if the customer doesn't buy it. It really wasn't a success, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, of course, it's, it's kind of interesting because in, even in that first role, I was the engineer on the team, but there were, there were brand managers. There were all these other, all the other people that are involved in delivering, a, you know, a new product to market. And so it was neat to learn, uh, learn from those guys and just, you know, hear what, what they were doing, what they're, what they were going through. And, um, you know, it's, it's Procter and Gamble is sort of famous for their, you know, being in touch with consumers. I mean, that is their business. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, and so it, it, I was a little bit surprised all along that people wanted to buy this because it didn't make sense to me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know, you're going to save, you know, eight cubic inches on your, <laughs> under your, your bathroom sink. But anyway, um, people weren't selling their house and buying big ones because of the toilet paper, right? Yeah. Yeah. But they had lots of focus groups. They did all kinds of stuff to, to, um, you know, to make sure, that they felt like we were on the right path and, and, you know, we just weren't. <laughs> so how long did you do that, that particular role, that project manager role? I did that for two years mm -hmm. uh, in Cincinnati. And, uh, and then I transferred down to a manufacturing site in Albany, Georgia. Um, one of the neat things about my first job uh, with Procter and Gamble in Cincinnati was that, because I was installing the equipment and all the plants, I was, when I say installing, I was a project manager um, for those. I didn't actually, you know, do much in installing work, but um, I would get to go to all the, the there were five paper plants um, spread ac across the U.S. And so I went to all of those at various times. And um, my wife and I being from Florida um, and she was living in Cincinnati and, you know, away from home and up North for the first time. And uh, we wanted to get back uh, a little farther South. So I said, right, I'm going to take an assignment in, uh, in Albany, Georgia, which is Southwest Georgia, um, mm -hmm. about five hour drive from where we grew up and we can be a little closer to our families and get back in the South and I'll, and it'd be good for my career to get it, to get an assignment in the manufacturing um, you know, because I, I had this vision that I'm going to, I'm building sort of my in-house resume to move mm -hmm. a ladder in Procter and Gamble. Yeah. So. Which is always smart to kind of, you know, decide a little bit about sort of what your story is going to be and how you can kind of set short-term goals to get there. Was this something that you had to seek out or were you in a program within P&G that, you know, allowed you to sort of rotate around? Um, no, P&G is pretty good about, um, at least in those days, I don't know how they are now, but they were pretty good about when you have, you have a plan. In, in fact, every 60 months to a year, we had what was called a work and development plan. And so after your performance review with your, with your boss, you would then say, kind of, here's my response. Here's what I, here's my long-term goals. Here are the things I need to work on based on my feedback and here are the next steps I want to have to try to achieve my long-term goals. Right. Cause I got to, what am I going to do next year? Not just what am I shooting for in 15 or 20 years. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I, I just said, Hey, I want to go work in a plant. My choice is, is Albany. And um, you know, they found an assignment there for me. It wasn't, it wasn't really, wasn't really hard to do. So you get to Albany, big shift from, uh, I guess it's their corporate headquarters in Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, what was, uh, 
what was the first thing or what were some of the things you learned when you got down there? Well, of course, it was totally different work environment. When I went to, um, when I went to work in Cincinnati, uh, I wore a tie every day, you know, long sleeve shirt, um, not normally a jacket, um, but, uh, you know, you, you dressed in a, in a business fashion. And when you work in a manufacturing site, you're not allowed to wear a tie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the work environment was very different. Um, I worked, my first assignment in the plant was managing an operating department. So, uh, here I was, uh, 23 years old or so, and I was managing, um, about, I don't know, 40 people, uh, that, uh, you know, that probably averaged an age of 45 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so the, it was a little funny to me how they expected that just because I went to college, I would know how to manage these people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, mean, I felt much more qualified to uh, design, build, or troubleshoot equipment than I did uh, managing people. Um, and I would say that I wasn't very good at it in the beginning. <laughs> I, wasn't, I was pretty bad at it. So uh, how did you approach that? I mean, how did your team respond? Because I've talked to a few others um, and I've seen, you know, per- firsthand when you've got a young person that's, you know, they've, they've got great education, but they're not experienced in that particular plant or what goes on in that. So what did you do to sort of um, break down that, that barrier and, and align the team? Well, so we had a couple of different levels. There would be, there'd be everybody on the team and there was a team leader uh, for each team. And then I had um, a guy that was called a um, area coordinator and he was a technician um, and, but he was sort of like my right hand guy. Right. So he, he didn't work shifts like everybody else. And I think I got lucky with him because he was a super guy. He, um, I think he, he knew that I was a, um, or he felt like I was a, a good person and wanted to do a good job. And he wanted to help me learn how to, how to do this. So I leaned a lot on him and his experience, asked him what I should do in situations. Um, and, and like a mentor for you. Huh? He was, he was, he was definitely a mentor for me. His name was Joe Warren. Um, you know, he, he gave me a lot of history. Like if I'd have to go talk to somebody about a discipline issue or something, he would say, now let me hang on a minute. Let me tell you about Jimmy's background. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I knew Jimmy, but all I knew was, you know, Jimmy looks like this and he sounds like this and he's got a wife and a couple of kids. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that Jimmy was in the service for eight years and that, you know, I I didn't know that, you know, he had already been in trouble once before for fighting and I'm making all this up, but you know, (laughs) um, but so Jimmy, if you're out there, no hard feelings, man. Right. Right. (laughs) So, so, uh, he, he really helped me, uh, get through that. And I made a lot of mistakes. I look back now at some of the things that I, that I did. Um, I mean, not, not mean to people, but some of the, the tactics I used in trying to manage people, um, just showed my, you know, immaturity really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's, but great learning experience for you to sort of figure out, you know, what your management style is what's effective with, you know, folks that are certainly different generation and different, you know, levels of experience to kind of mm-hmm. motivate them. So how long were you in that particular role? Well, I was in that role, um, probably again, another year and a half, two years. Um, 
And then I said, look, I want to move into this. That was called an area manager role. So I had an area, which was two, two production lines and the teams that ran them. And then I moved into what was called an industrial engineering role, um, which was sort of a, um, uh, I guess you, it was more like a production coordinator, um, determining the, the, the budgets that were needed for each department, um, and the operating parameters, like how many, you know, how many cases a day can they make? So we need how many days on this product and, um, you know, sort of the business manager for that, for that Charmin, um, business. Mm-hmm. I moved into that role afterwards. Okay. So how did you like managing budgets and some of the other sort of non-mechanical pieces of that role? I I really enjoyed that. Um, That to me, I sort of felt like I'm I'm hitting my wheelhouse now because uh, I'm able to, I'm able to, to use, I, maybe what's a strength of mine is kind of logic and, and um, building mathematical models to represent uh, the real world um, so that you can use those to make decisions. Um, uh, that's, that's something that I think I probably do well. And mm-hmm. that's where I sort of learned how to do that. And that's where I learned that I do like to do that. Um, uh, so that was a, that was a good turning point for me. Um, that led to me then becoming the, the plant i.e., which, which means for the whole manufacturing plant. This is a pretty big plant we're talking about in Albany. It, at that point in time, had 1,500 employees, a budget of maybe $600 million a year. Wow. So uh, when I had that role then for the whole site, um, it, was, uh, it, was a, it was a pretty big, pretty big role, a lot of responsibility. I had to create the, you know, the forecasts, which means, you know, how much money we need to spend next year, how many cases of X and Y can we make? And, you know, how much uh, gas, natural gas do we need? How much electricity do we need? How many people do we need to hire? All that goes into a whole business plan for the, for the whole plant. And so that was sort of my job was to, um, uh, was to, to deliver that. And of course you had people in all parts of the plant that, that helped, um, do it, you know? So, yeah. Great experience there. And certainly a lot of responsibility, a lot of people counting on you, but, um, I, I'm sound like you did pretty well to be able to sort of get up into that role. Um, how long were you involved in that? Cause I know you, you had left, um, P and G after like what, nine or 10 years or something like that. Yeah, it was, it was about 10 years, a little over 10 years when I left, maybe 11. Um, so what were you thinking while you're still at P and G? Like you get, you know, kind of moving up the ranks, your long-term plan was to pr- still pretty much be within that corporate environment, but were there some things that were shifting a little well, bit inside you? Yeah. I'll tell you that what started happening with me is I started doing a little bit of investing on the side. I didn't have a lot of money, but I started, um, I started buying rental mobile homes. Um, got some, got some guidance from my father-in-law on, on how to do that. And so I bought one or two and, you know, tested the waters on the rental business and started liking that and started realizing when I'm daydreaming, I'm daydreaming about building a rental business. (laughs) I'm not daydreaming about, um, you know, optimizing Procter and Gamble's business. And so that was, that was probably around the point in time that I 
started thinking I need to, I need to probably go do something on my own. What, what was it about, um, you know, either the rental business or just being on your own that you liked or that was sort of like driving some of that passion that you weren't getting from the corporate life? Well, to be honest with you, I liked that I can make money when I make good decisions and do things. Um, in the corporate world, uh, there are a lot of good things about it, but if you I felt as though I was doing things that were far more valuable to the company than the return that I was getting in salary and raises. Uh, and so that, that, that caused me to, uh, well, and w when I started doing some, a little bit of rental business, I said, wow, I, you know, I've made this money and I've, you know, bought this for X and now it's worth two X. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. I can see a real return to my bottom line yeah. for, for my, you know, for the effort that I put in. And, you know, if I made a good decision or a bad decision and, and it wasn't that if I made the company a couple million dollars and I got an extra 1% raise. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. So, yeah. So how long did you do that, that side hustle before you, you decided to make it a full-time gig? Oh, probably, uh, probably four or five years. Okay. Did that. Yeah. So it wasn't overnight. You sort of were able to, uh, to, to balance both and kind of see how, you know, the, the rental business was going to play out or was there a point where you said, okay, you know what, I'm gonna do this for a while. And if I get to this level, then I know I can pretty much do this full time or did it just sort of evolve to that? Well, I'll tell you here. Yeah. It, I sort of had some goals in my mind. Um, I always was thinking, God, if I can get, you know, whatever the number was, 10 or 15 houses going, you know, then I'll have, you know, this much income and that'll be enough just to put food on the table. I kind of had those ideas in my head. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I went from mobile homes to mobile home parks uh, and I already had a couple of mobile home parks and I was seeing that business grow well. I was doing some really neat creative financing things. That's all working out great. And then it's, it, the Procter and Gamble stock at one point in time took a nosedive in the matter of about two or three days. It cut the in value in half. And so one of the main reasons that I, that I had been with P and G that long was that, uh, you know, they put money, your, all your retirement is in P and G stock. At least it was in those days. I don't know how they do it today, but, um, you know, you have this, this sort of, uh, pot of gold in the rainbow. Hey, and you know, in 15, 20 years, when I, when I retire, I'm going to have three, $4 million sitting out there. So yeah, that's one reason I sit there and that's why they do it. You know, that's yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's a retainer, sense. right? Yeah. You gotta, yeah. I got to dangle it out there. And so, um, but then overnight that was cut in half. And I think, you know, I think not that it's tiny amount of money, but I'd been there about 10 years and, and I had $50,000 now in my retirement account. Yeah. And I said, you know, fifty thousand dollars, I'm buying mobile home parks and I can make a decision that earns me fifty thousand dollars in a day. Yeah. Well, I've been here ten years. I, I gotta get out. You know, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm, killing my, I'm killing myself. And so it just so happened that right around that time P and G had a um a big downsizing event and and the way they did it then was they didn't wanna they didn't want to come and fire anybody um, for fear of being accused of, um, you know, discriminatory um, 
you know, we fired all the old people, we fired all the men, all the women or all the black people or anything like that, you know? Right. So, so they said, anybody that wants to go can go. Yeah. You just sign up. And I was like, you, you gotta be kidding me because when I left, <laughs> I was about to quit anyway. And they said, <laughs> they, they paid you for it. Right? If you sign up to go here and it was a, you got a compensation based on your length, your tenure. Mm -hmm. And so I got eight months, level. eight months salary and benefits to walk. Yeah. Yeah. Like you gotta be kidding me. This is yeah. pretty, I'm true. It's seed money for me. You know, yeah, the timing was perfect for you. Yeah. So I just, I grabbed on it and, and, and walked. Yeah. So you, you start off on your own. Uh, what does that look like for, for someone starting out? I mean, you, you can see, you've obviously had it for a few years, but when you get this full time now, what, what is your, what's your mindset? What are you, what are you thinking? Um, in the, in the beginning I was, a little nervous. I was like, you know, okay, I went and did this now. I'm going to have to be, I got to make it work because I didn't have enough business going at the time really to, to really make it work. And so, um, you know, to convince uh, Nancy, my wife, that, that it wasn't just a crazy idea. I put together a whole, you know, we called it a, at Procter and Gamble, we called it OGSM: Objectives, Goals, Strategies, and Measures. It's basically just a table of, of you know, your long-term goals, which would be your, you know, your objectives, and 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 you break it all down so that you, you can determine uh, or you can lay it out for yourself a really good plan and what you have to do now and how do you measure your results of what you're doing now in order to be on track for your long-term plan. Mm -hmm. So I had. I laid all that out and I said, here's the deal. Here's how much money we have saved. Here's how much money we have coming in with the current mobile home parks we have. This is my goal. And, and I will promise you that if we get down to this amount of money in the savings, I will get another job. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I, if there's I don't do anything, cord. yeah. Yeah. If I don't do anything, if I can't get anything else going, it'll be whatever it would have been, you know, two years. Um, and so I had a little bit of time to try to make something happen. Um, and so it was a, it was a little bit, I was a little nervous about it, but not, not really because I saw so much opportunity out there. There were so many, um, so many properties that I could, uh, that I could invest in. And uh, I mean, I was doing all the work myself. And so what didn't cost me much to fix things up or maintain them. And it wasn't really hard to, you know, find a house and fix it up and rent it and, you know, get a, make a couple hundred bucks a month after, you know, after paying your mortgage, do that again. You, you know, so I, I went and, and, and started along that path um, and was doing, uh, you know, fairly well with that and then got the idea of, um, of self-storage. And that's why I started doing storage. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Did you, um, did you do, because I know we were talking earlier about focus groups and, you know, making sure the market was there. How do you decide to, um, you know, expand or even shift um, or create a new division, if you will, uh, into storage? Well, I, you know, I decided to do it because I had a, uh, I had a little bit of vacant land next to a mobile home park and I was trying to figure out what am I going to do with this land to make some use of it? It was, you know, three or four acres. And for whatever reason, I wasn't able to develop more mobile home lots on it, zoning or something. I don't know. And so um, I had the idea of self-storage and I started reading. I didn't know anything about it. I just had seen these little 
storage units around and, and thought, well, that might be neat next to a mobile home park. And so I started reading about the storage industry and then looking at uh, the Albany storage um, competitive environment. And I just said, no, I don't need to build a little one. I need to build a big one. You know, we need to, <laughs> we need to, we need to do this for real here because this is a, we've got a prime opportunity, you know? Yeah. So that's when I started down that path. So, um, so you build that up because I know you, you were pretty successful with that. Um, and I know you also reached into the car wash business. So tell me how that one came about. Well, you know, um, of course, of course you're skipping over things you haven't even heard of. <laughs> well, then let's back up because I'm curious to hear. Because um, I, I think this is really, it's really useful for our listeners to kind of hear like when you get to a point where you're ready to pivot or make a switch, you know, what's kind of going through your mind and what are you looking to get out of it? So uh, yeah, tell me, tell me more, man. There, there were, I mean, I have, there, I had a, uh, a business. It was a little thing, but we, we rented, you know, those bounce houses. Mm-hmm. We had a business for those. We bought some of those and we rented those out and took them and delivered them. Wow. Uh, at one point in time, I owned a porta potty business. <laughs> really? I didn't yeah. know that. I had a buddy that, that, uh, that wanted to, wanted to run a porta potty business. And, and so I invested with him and, um, we ran that for a couple of years and that took a nosedive. So we sold it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've done lots of stuff, you know. <laughs> um, and but so, it sounds like you're really just you're looking for any opportunity that's not met, and that, then you know yeah. putting together a business to meet that. Um, you know, if a customer is willing to pay for something, you're willing to offer it, right? Yeah, that's you know I've never really approached. Um, and although I like the storage business now, and that's of course my my really my only business at this point. But um, I was never I'm never really or I'm not like just passionate about the storage business. It's, it's a business to me, you know, and all the rest of them have been the same way. Um, it's just, do I, do I think that I could make some money here? Um, and if I can, then I can manage the risks reasonably, then, then let's give it a shot, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, it's particularly when you're younger. Um, and if you have, uh, kids that are younger, um, and, and you're still willing to, um, your time's not worth as much to you. Maybe I, I guess, you know, when, when you're younger and so, um, you're willing to invest a lot of time and effort into things. And so that's what I kind of did in, in different ways. Yeah. Gotcha. So yeah. that, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. Cause I, I, I know that, you know, um, you and I kind of lost touch for a little bit just cause we had, you know, work and travel and sure. families and, and all that we're, trying to do that. So it's, it's, it's interesting to hear that, but yeah, it's just a pattern, right? It just seems to make pattern. sense that and that's, know. that's sort of how we got in the car wash business too. We, yeah. um, like I mentioned the way the storage thing developed, the car wash thing developed because we had a storage facility in another town called Moultrie, not far from here. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my business partner said, Hey, um, you know, they're doing these car washes now. And, you know, with the tunnel you drive through and there are the, you know, free vacuums afterwards. He said, but there's nothing like that in Moultrie. And it was really his idea. And he said, I think we should, we should build one in Moultrie. And I said, man, I don't know anything about the car wash business. You know, that's a kind of a big deal to jump right into it. Um, he said, well, you know, I know these guys who was a, they were a family in Albany that owned car washes. And he said, they know the car wash business. Why don't we see if they want to partner with us? 
And since we're already going to Mulcher, we can, we can go there and manage it. And, uh, you know, they can help us build it and get it started. And so that'll be our, each of our contributions. And so, so we did that and we hooked up with those guys and, um, it worked out really well. Um, and so we, we then, we were in the storage business and the car wash business and somewhere along the line in there, I guess I forgot to mention that I sort of sold most of the mobile home park business, um, which um, as you talk about pivots, that was another sort of critical pivot for me um, because as I was building storage, um, I was continuing to buy mobile home parks. And I, uh, at one point owned 400, I mean, 400, four, four mobile home parks uh, and probably had, I don't know, 300 lots in those and maybe 50 or 70 rental mobile homes that I owned. Mm-hmm. The rest of them were owned by the people that, that lived in them. And it was a lot of, uh, it was a lot of, a, of attention that, that that business required. I mean, I, I had a whiteboard in my office, office. I always had, you know, 10 vacant homes. So people are calling all the time. There's all the maintenance that we're keeping up with. I had a full-time uh, handyman. Uh, I had uh, some office help. Um, I had all this going and we were making some money, but I just felt like, you know, I'm making money, but I can't, I can't really grow any because I'm tapped out in terms of my effort. You know, can't scale it. Right. I can't scale this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it just so happens that I decided to sell them. I put them on the market and I sold it in 2007, right before 2008. (laughs) Timing again, man, was in your favor, right? Yeah. So I got really lucky with that, (laughs) sold it um, and, and, got a little bit of cash, which then helped do other things that, you know, but that was important for me to get out of that. Well, and it's, it's also important too, to, to think about like you got into the storage business is just, it's a vacant lot and your main business, you were in mobile home parks, right? You fast right. forward. Now you realize, you know, the mobile, the mobile home business is not nearly as good for you as, as the storage business. And that's, that's the business you're still retaining today. So that's been what, you know, 15 years later. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, well, we opened our first storage facility in 2004, uh, January of 04. So I was working on it a year, you know, at least a year before that. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, it's been 16 years working on that. And 07 is when I sold the three parks. I still have one little park, but that's for sale right now. Um, and so I, you know, if I get a, a decent price, I'll, I'll be happy to let that one go. Um, that, that's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty interesting to kind of hear that you know these different businesses and how you've tied them all together and and where it makes sense for you and your family. What yeah. would you What do you like most about your job? Oh, I, I think I really love building something. I I you know I I manage the businesses. I think I do a decent job of managing them. Um, and I don't hate that part, but I, I really love building something like buying a piece of raw land or, and, and you know, a year later, there's a business on that land and people are coming in and renting space and, you know, and I'm making money on it. And, and, you know, it, to me, that's just really cool to develop. Sounds like you've tapped into your original passion that you thought was going to be was architecture, right? 
And so now you've sort of driven some of that into a different, I mean, maybe a different type of business, but it's still the same concept. You're, you're putting something together, you've got a finished product, you can see it, touch it, feel it, and it's making you money. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and that's probably what I like most about the car wash business too, was, was that we was building car washes. We built three of them. Um, of course, we sold those now. Um, but uh, I think that was the most fun part for me. You know, the day we the day we opened and customers came and paid, and it's just like wow! I I created this and people want it, and it's you know what a great feeling. You know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, just kind of one last question I have, and then I'll let you run. But um, I always like to ask this of the guests. You know, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? If I could go back in time, um, other than buy Apple stock, yeah, or, or Super Bowl you know. winners or whatever you can, yeah. <laughs> other than no, no Biff selections um, here. <laughs> I'm, if I could go back in time, I might have. I I, I would. I tend to say I would not try not to get distracted by some of these other things that I told you I got into. Mm-hmm. Um. And to, and to stay the course on, um, on storage because I really like that business now. Um, and some of those other smaller ones were distractions. The car wash business wasn't so much a distraction because we, you know, we did pretty well with that, but it, it, um, it was in the sense that we started in the storage and I'm back in it, you know, back totally in it now. Um, so it, it, it might be that and probably would also be to have more confidence to try to grow a little bit faster. Um, I've always tried to calculate my risks, mitigate those, always have a back door for every move I've made so that if, if, a, if an idea doesn't work, I break even. Not that if an idea doesn't work, I go broke. It, you know. Um, and I think if, if I'd had taken an approach earlier on to be more aggressive, um, I, I think it would have, it would have, it would have paid out. I think some of what I'm saying is some of those fears I had were um, I put too much weight in the likelihood of them coming, coming true. You know, be a little more bold with some of the, uh, the things that you went into, but I, yeah, yeah. You know, um, uh, just be confident that, you know, just because there's some competition doesn't mean that I can't do something better than them. And, yeah. and, and still build a successful business right around the corner from another one. Um, because that's kind of been the hallmark of, of, um, of our storage and car wash businesses, just do it better than everybody else mm-hmm. and, and you'll do fine. And, you know, so, um, that, that, that might be what I would encourage myself to do. Now, were you talking about early in career or are you talking about early as in high school? Anything, man, that jumps out. Yeah. Um, well that, that's probably what jumps out at me. Yeah, that's good advice. And I think, um, you know, certainly when you're younger, you have, you have more, uh, more runway of risk. You know, if you, um, you know, you're not, you're not trying to put food on the table for a family and, you know, you're 10 or 15 years into a career or whatever, um, you know, you can take some of those more risk. But uh, I think some of it's how you're wired too. you know, I'm, I'm pretty risk averse. And, you know, that suited me in some ways, because I haven't, you know, been, 
you know, out of a, out of a job or a house or sleeping in my car. Um, but, you know, it's probably also hindered some of me as we've been through a couple of really big growth opportunities in the economy, you know, over the years. I mean, I was, I knew people, we were talking about the dot-com boom in the nineties and I knew people that got into that pretty early and I'm like, ah, I don't know if that's really going to hold out, you know, AOL's got, got the market and what else is beyond there, you know, and mm-hmm. there were so many niches that people were selling out for millions of dollars. And, you know, when it kind of blew up, I'm like, huh, well, I guess that window's shut now. So, right. yeah. But, yeah. um, yeah, so I kind of, I feel the same way. You know, I, I, there's a certain amount of risk I'm willing to take and beyond that I'm, I'm, you know, it's sort of like when you go to Vegas, you know, if I, if I won a thousand dollars playing blackjack, that, mm-hmm. that would, um, that high wouldn't compare to me losing a thousand bucks. Like that would be 10 X the feeling of losing that money. And, you know, I know that people that are wired the other way and, and if, um, if you can sort of balance that out a little bit better, you know? Yeah. You know, balance it out. And, and kind of like what I was saying is look, you know, I, I learned pretty well how to, how to calculate, manage risks, you know, and understand risks and then mm-hmm. put some things in place to mitigate those and then go for it. You know, don't go with, you don't want to go blindly into things in your life and, and throw caution to the wind. But yeah, you know, when you, if, if you put together a decent plan, think it through, mm-hmm. but then don't, don't be afraid to go ahead and do it. it, it you know? Yeah. Well, and the other thing that I've noticed over time is, you know, sometimes you can learn, this is, obviously a good sports metaphor, but sometimes you have to lose that championship to figure out what you're not doing well and then fix that to come back. And, uh, you know, sometimes your failures are the biggest learning opportunities for you to come back and really succeed at, at a job, a role, a business, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. You know, it, if you're willing to, to analyze what happened, why did I fail? You know, Mm -hmm. why did, why did that go wrong? Um, and I mean, if you're, if you're not going to, you're not going to put that effort into it, then it may not be a learning opportunity for you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, be a sore spot. You know? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Don't mention that business around dad anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, cool, man. This has been a lot of fun. I, I really appreciate your time, Scott. It was, it was good. I, I learned some things and I've known you most of my life. So it's always, it's always fun to kind of uncover these little nuggets of information. So Thanks again for your time. Yeah, I've enjoyed it too. And, and thanks, thanks for asking me to do it. Yeah, sounds good. All right, thanks. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.